After a two-year post-pandemic surge in global inflation, the global economy is easing away from a period of massive fiscal and monetary policy interventions, with central banks readdressing the risk of a recession with inflation fears and rising sovereign debt. With the easing of volatility-suppressing policies cued the aftershock economy and a potential for investment opportunities as volatility awakens from its forced slumber. So what has 2023 taught us and what opportunities are there within the new aftershock economy? Here to tackle this topic are Ryan Blute, PIMCO Head of Global Wealth Management Europe. Hi Tom, very happy to be here. Thank you for inviting me to this. And Peter Beck-Fries, PIMCO Economist, Europe. Hi Tom, looking forward to the discussion. Thank you for joining us. I'd like it if you could both start by describing what you mean by the aftershock economy. Can you give a little bit of background so that the listeners can understand some of the context around this? Pedder. I think the context is that we are emerging from a time now when we've seen pretty meaningful shocks from a historical point of view. So the pandemic, of course, being one of them, the most expansionary fiscal policy that we've seen since World War II is another, the inflation shock and monetary policy tightening, and of course, also the geopolitical tensions that we're seeing in Ukraine and Russia and, and more recently in Israel. So there are a tremendous amount of large shocks in the system. And the question is, of course, where will we land after this? Where will the new steady state be? And I think one implication from all this is that we will probably see a little bit more volatility going forward, not only in fixed income, uh, but also in macro outcomes. We are used to having fairly long and smooth business cycles of the last 20, 30 years. We think that may change on the supply side. If you think of the trends like deglobalization, nearshoring, these um, factors should add more volatility on the supply side. And also on the demand side, we have been used to, in the last recessions at least, pretty forceful policy action, both on monetary and fiscal policy front, given where public debt levels are, not only in the UK, but in the US, uh, Japan and Europe as well, the bar may be higher for fiscal authorities to engage in, in, in more forceful policy actions in future downturns. And the same may apply to monetary policy. And I think if you bring them, you know, both the supply and demand side together, I think that paints a more volatile uh, outlook will, with um, potentially more frequent business cycles. Brian, anything to add? Well, in terms of the, the aftershock economy, I think Peter described it very well in terms of the shocks that we've all experienced. And I think it's just important for investors to remember the future doesn't necessarily need to look like the past. And investors, certainly since the financial crisis, benefited from central banks pushing down volatility, pumping money into the system, pushing up asset prices, and then having pretty synchronized growth dynamics around the world. And so now that's kind of like back to the real world and you're gonna have divergence in, in monetary policy, you're gonna have divergence in fiscal policy, you're gonna have divergence in growth rates in different countries, and that's gonna get reflected in the behavior of, of stock prices and bond prices. And so I think investors need to be prepared for a wider potential set of outcomes and make sure that they can be tactical in terms of moving to where the opportunities come because it's not gonna be like you can just buy everything and everything will be fine, which was a strategy that worked following the financial crisis. Well, with that as a backdrop, let's recap the last 12 months. Peda, what have been the major economic themes in the UK? 
Well, I think from a macro point of view, I mean, there's been lots of volatility, lots of uh, uncertainty. There's always, of course, uncertainty as it relates to the macro outlook, but this amount of uncertainty around inflation, around monetary policy, around fiscal policy, around geopolitical risks, of course, we haven't seen in a very long time. And of course, that creates fairly volatile macroeconomic and, and backdrop that feeds into volatility in, in financial markets. I think broadly speaking, in, in this year, uh, from a macro point of view, there have been a number of themes. Of course, central banks have continued to tighten policy. Inflation has uh, gradually started to come down. And in this context, I think activity has remained fairly resilient. I mean, if you had asked us a few years ago where you think activity would be, in the face of you know Bank of England tightening policy to five twenty five percent, I think most people would have predicted a fairly deep recession. That's not what we have now. We have fairly stagnant uh, growth, but I think overall activity has held up uh, pretty well in the face of such sharp monetary policy tightening. And Brian, what about the client trends of twenty twenty three? Well, I think the theme as we entered the year twenty twenty three was very much investors licking their wounds after a tough, tough 2022. So you, you had an unusual period last year where both bond prices and stock prices went down. Now, one of the reasons people typically buy bonds is because they can be a safe harbor when things get tough in the economy or in the stock market. And 2022 was an unusual period in which both types of assets went down in price. So the as we entered 2023, one of the exciting things, at least from a bond investor perspective, is that the starting yields looked much more interesting. And unlike the stock market, where it's a bit more difficult to predict which way it's going to go, a really strong predictor of how bond markets are going to behave is what is the starting yield. So we saw a lot of clients looking at bonds again at the start of 2023 because they've been accustomed to 10 to 15 years since the financial crisis of very low or even zero and negative, in some cases, interest rates. And they started to look more interesting again. So the the level of engagement with advisors and, and investors on fixed income has really increased throughout the course of this year. Back to your point, Pedder, let's take a closer look at inflation and especially the responses by central banks. The Fed held rates again at a 22-year high in November after 11 increases since March 2022. The BOE also held rates at 5.25% for the second time at the start of November, following 14 straight rate hikes. How successful have the central bank's policies been at curbing inflation? Well, zooming in on the UK, I think we have started to see some disinflation in the UK. Um, headline inflation is now around 6-7%. The start of the year, 10%. Core inflation remains fairly high, of course, around 6%. Central banks, of course, can't control uh, the price level or the short-term inflation that has been driven by other factors outside Bank of England's control. But I think what Bank of England can control or central banks can control is anchoring inflation expectations. And I think in that context, I think Bank of England and other central banks have been fairly successful. If you look at what is priced in, into financial markets, not only in the UK, but in the US, uh, in the rest of Europe as well, market participants believe that um, inflation will trend down towards the central bank target, which is fairly impressive and remarkable in the context of prices having risen sort of 15 to 20% since the start of the pandemic. So that is what's priced into financial markets. Long term, I think we tend to think of long run inflation as a policy choice, as long as there is credibility and willingness for central banks to bring inflation down to 2%, that sort of has to be the baseline. 
looking ahead, but there's tons of upside risks. And if you look at what's priced in markets, I think investors can benefit from diversifying into various inflation hedges. So one of them is, of course, investing in inflation-linked government debt, which again is pricing inflation down down to sort of 2%. So to the extent that inflation proves higher than that, that should yield uh, an attractive return for uh, for investors. And that's what we've been also focusing on in our portfolios. Ryan, with inflation remaining sticky, are there ways to inflation-proof your portfolio? One of the interesting things we're observing right now in the inflation-linked bond market, which typically is a quite sleepy and quiet part of the of the bond market, is that as an investor, you can actually buy insurance, or in other words, buy inflation protection without paying too much for it. So if you think of an example, maybe from the real world, maybe you bump your car and get into a fender bender. If you try to renew your insurance, it's probably going to cost you more than it did previously. Now, we've, we've gone through the equivalent of, of a fender bender in the macro economy with inflation rates at 10% here in the UK even. Now, you would think then, if you wanted to buy insurance to protect yourself against future inflation spikes, that that would cost you quite a bit. But basically what we see today is that the bond market is pricing in that central banks are going to achieve their targets of roughly 2% inflation, and that that's going to bring interest rates down, bring inflation down. And so as an investor, if you think, well, I better protect myself against future inflation surprises or spikes, you actually don't have to pay that much for that inflation protection today because the market thinks that central banks are going to hit their targets. We're actually going to concentrate a little bit more on bonds now. Just a month ago, bond yields were the highest in the UK for 25 years due to inflation pushing the UK cost of borrowing higher and markets expecting interest rates to remain high. On October 23rd, US 10-year Treasury yields momentarily hit 5%, its highest for 16 years, before resting on 4.85%. Ryan, can you elaborate more on what's been happening in bond markets this year, and are they still an attractive bet? Sure, and the bond market has been very volatile this year. I think when we started 2023, the outlook was going to be for a bit more calm in the bond market, but it's continued to be volatile this year. And I think what investors should think about is, is what's my long-run expected return if I invest today? And so the, the risk-free rate you could look at would be a gilt or a U.S. Treasury, and then you could look at opportunities around that. Now, I think the, the very exciting news as a bond investor with new money to put to work today is that you can build a portfolio yielding 7 or 8% without taking significant risk, risk in terms of default risk or risk in terms of long, long maturity risk. So it, it makes for a very interesting decision when an investor or an advisor thinks, well, how much money should I put into equities? How much money should I put into fixed income? Typically, when we invest in equities, we might hope for a 7 or 8 or 9% return over the long run. And that investment typically comes with about 15 to 20% volatility in a given year. Now, bonds are typically much more stable from a volatility perspective, a volatility of 5 or 6 or 7% per year. So you have this interesting environment now where you can buy a bond portfolio yielding 7 or 8% with expected volatility of 6 or 7%. And on a relative basis there, I compare that to equities where they're going to be much more volatile, less certain the outcome you're going to get. And so it makes for a really interesting time to look at fixed income again. Now, with, within the bond market, this volatility has been driven by, I think, mixed signals about how strong the economy is going to be. I think many have been surprised at how resilient many of the developed economies have been when faced with fairly high inflation, geopolitical problems, 
And so the bond market's increasing interest rates, I think, reflect in one way the strength of the economies that we've observed. There's also a reflection maybe of inflation is going to be a little bit higher for longer than getting so quickly back towards those 2% targets. And then there's also some technical factors. You have central banks who had been big, big buyers of all kinds of bonds over the last 10 to 15 years. And the U.S. Federal Reserve is probably the most notable example where they've been trying to reduce the amount of bonds that they own. And so that what you call technical pressure on the bond market puts a little bit of upward pressure on interest rates. I'll give an example of how this impacts the average man or woman on the street. If you're a homeowner in the U.S. today and you want to buy a new home, your mortgage is going to cost you 7 to 8%. Now that compares to mortgage rates that were 25 or 3% not that long ago. Now those mortgages that get sold all over America and even in the UK and Ireland and in Europe get packaged into bonds. So as a bond investor, this means today PIMCO and on behalf of PIMCO's clients can buy mortgage-backed bonds, which are AAA rated, government guaranteed, yielding more than they've yielded since before the financial crisis. So it's, um, it's made for some very interesting opportunities where you can build a pretty resilient, fairly high credit quality portfolio with a really interesting expected return compared to what investors have been used to for the last 10 to 15 years. Thank you, Ryan. Peter, anything to add? Well, Brian mentioned the higher starting level of yields, which certainly is attractive. Let me just mention two other factors that I think make fixed income a little bit more attractive now than, than before. First of all, if you think of the economic outlook, I think recession risks are fairly high. And to the extent uh, activity slows from here, I think investors not only should benefit from the high starting level of yields, but also some capital appreciation as yields uh, fall. So as economic activity tends to weaken, central banks tend to cut as yields go lower, uh, prices go uh, higher. So that should benefit investors as well. Ryan started off speaking about last year where bond prices went down and equity prices went down. And typically we tend to think of bonds as a pretty good diversifier to equities. I mean, that has not happened really worked very well since the pandemic. A big reason behind this, I think, is the very elevated inflation. So when and if inflation continues to fall, I think the diversification benefit of fixed income should come back into, into play as well. I want to look a little bit more at single-line bonds versus funds. At a time when there has been a move to buying single-line bonds, what are the advantages of investing in a bond fund rather than single-line bonds? Ryan. Investors can benefit from both buying single-line item bonds and then also bond mutual funds. So I'll try to spend some time talking about how you might think about that decision. Now, when clients and investors buy single-line item bonds, in the UK in particular, they are thinking about gilts. Now, there are some tax benefits as a UK investor to investing in gilts. Gilts are the reference risk-free assets in the UK. So I absolutely think it makes sense for investors in the UK to have some portion of their fixed income allocation in these kind of quote-unquote bulletproof risk-free gilts. Now, I think that there's more that you should do as a fixed income investor because you, you are potentially leaving some money on the table if you only focus on government bonds. Now, other bond markets price themselves relative to government bonds. So if you think about investing in corporate bonds, that's going to give you an extra 1% to 1.5% above gilts. You could invest in mortgage-backed bonds, which are going to give you 1% to 2% above gilts. And then as you want to take a bit more risk and be a bit more adventurous, you could start to look to below investment grade corporate bonds, which might give you an extra 3 to 4 to 5% above gilts. Uh, you could buy emerging market bonds, bonds issued by countries like Mexico that might give you an extra 2 to 3% above gilts. 
So there are many different flavors you can choose from in the bond market, and the bond market is is actually bigger than the stock market globally. A lot of people don't don't know that, but the bond market truly is a, a global supermarket of, of investment opportunities. So I think a part of, part of your portfolio absolutely can and should be in gilts for that that very very high quality. But also there are some real benefits to investing in in more diversified bond mutual funds. So the benefit of investing in a fund. Uh, is that you get much greater diversification. So in a typical bond fund, you would have more than 100 bonds in the portfolio. So if something goes wrong with one or two of the issuers, it's not going to have too big of an impact on your overall performance. Another benefit of investing in fixed income funds is that you get the opportunities for active management. Now, the bond market is not nearly as efficient as the stock market is. And the bond market is still heavily traded over the counter between counterparties. And there are still a lot of investors in the bond market who are not trying to maximize their return. So if you think about insurance companies, pension schemes, central banks, they have other reasons why they need to own fixed income. And so as, as an active manager at PIMGO or, or any other active manager, you can take advantage of these inefficiencies or these frictions that you see in the bond market. And that gives you the opportunity to add extra return over what you could get if you just focused on single line item bonds. Great. Thank you. Let's stick with you here, Ryan, and close out the show. Where have you found key investment opportunities this year, and what can we look forward to in 2024? So as, as we look ahead to 2024, there, there's a lot of excitement, I think, about the potential for the, for the fixed income market. You know, the best predictor of future returns is your starting yield. And the starting yield today is higher than it's been, depends on the country you look at, but in, in well more than a decade. So you're in an environment where you have the wind at your back as an investor, and you can let that yield do the heavy lifting for you, and you have a pretty high certainty of what your future return is going to be. So I think that's a great position to be in. Uh, Peter spoke earlier about the gradual decline in the level of inflation or, or disinflation that we're seeing. And if our outlook is correct that central banks are going to be successful in gradually getting inflation down towards close to their targets, then that also gives you additional tailwind or potential upside in your bond portfolio. Because remember, as a bond investor, you make money based on the coupons that you get quarterly or semi-annually or annually, but then you also make money based on the price change of your bond. And as inflation comes down and as interest rates may come down as a result of inflation coming down, you have the potential for capital gains also in your bond investment. So as a starting point, you're in a really interesting position because the starting yield is attractive. You have inflation in the economy heading more in your direction to favor you as a bond investor. Uh, so it makes for quite compelling opportunities, we think. Peda, any last thoughts? I think if you look across the globe, there are some very attractive diversification benefits investors can see in fixed income. We have been used to, over the last two years, of a fairly convergent monetary policy tightening. I mean, most central banks have tightened policy in tandem. At the moment, we are seeing some divergence across countries. Uh, some regions are still hiking. Some central banks appear to be done. Bank of England certainly is one of them. And some central banks are cutting their interest rates, especially in emerging markets of so Brazil, Chile, Poland, to give you a few examples. So there are diversification benefits for investors if you take a global approach to fixed income. Thank you, Ryan and Peda. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking with you today. Take care. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks, Tom. And to our listeners, you can find other related content at ftspecialist.com. Bye for now. 
Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. In unscripted conversations with investment professionals, you'll hear real stories about successes and lessons learned, informed by decades of investment experience. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. New episodes are available monthly. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes in an episode today. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc.